Welcome to the 216th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. This is the fourth installment in our continuing series on Our Minnesota Future, an exciting statewide initiative the Land Stewardship Project helped launch recently. The guiding principle of Our Minnesota Future is that regular people and organizations representing the interests of these people need a stronger voice in our government. We need elected leaders who commit to govern alongside us and who work with us in deep partnership to create the changes we envision for people on the land. Besides LSP, 21 people's organizations are part of this coalition, including faith groups, environmental groups, organizations that work in communities of color and immigrant communities, as well as labor unions and progressive organizations. LSP members from various parts of the state, representing a variety of backgrounds, have been part of this initiative. One of those LSP members is John Fisher Merritt, who, along with his wife Jane, pioneered community-supported agriculture farming in the region. Called CSA for short, this type of farming consists of eaters buying a share in a farm, and in return receiving a regular delivery of vegetables or other food items produced in a sustainable manner. In the late 1980s, the Fisher Merritts started raising vegetables on a farm they bought near Renshaw in northeastern Minnesota. By the early 1990s, they were marketing their production through the CSA model, as well as wholesaling to a food co-op in nearby Duluth. A lot has changed since John and Jane began raising vegetables with bare-bones infrastructure and a few pieces of equipment on half an acre. Today, their certified organic operation, which is called, appropriately enough, Food Farm, has 15 acres in production, with another 35 to 40 acres available for rotating in soil-building cover crops. The farm does composting and is powered with solar panels. Utilizing a combination of techniques and structures such as season-extending hoop houses, the Fisher Merits have proven that a produce operation can thrive in the harsh climate of northeastern Minnesota. The Fisher Merits are working to play an important role in the community in a way that goes beyond just being a source of organic vegetables. They employ around half a dozen people during the growing season and strive to pay a good wage. In 2000, they built an extensive root cellar and utilize funding from the Minnesota Department of Agriculture's Sustainable Ag Demonstration Program to install a computer system for regulating the temperature. The root cellar is one reason that they're able to keep produce so fresh that customers clamor to buy items such as Food Farms carrots. Over the years, the Fisher Merits have hosted numerous workshops for beginning farmers. These workshops focus on their innovative use of production equipment, as well as the role the root cellar plays in storage and marketing. It turns out that root cellar has played an important role in not just keeping produce fresh. It's also helped guide the future of Food Farm itself. One of the Fisher Merritt's sons, Jonicky, went off to college with the idea that farming was not in his future. But he returned to the family's operation and saw how the high-tech root cellar made it possible for the operation to produce year-round income via the sale of winter shares. Jonicky, who's 41, has purchased Food Farm, and John and Jane, who are in their early 70s, still help out on the operation. The older couple has moved into a house on the farm that sits above the root cellar, while Jonicky's family lives a few yards away in the original farmstead. While employees pack freshly harvested carrots in the root cellar below us, I sat down to talk to John about how providing the next generation of farmers the training and support they need to launch their operations is a way we can put people over corporations and thus provide a sustainable future for Minnesota's communities. I know you've had a lot of interns on the farm and, and helped get a couple other farmers started and all that. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about 
kind of the opportunities and the challenges new farmers, beginning farmers face. I know through our Farm Beginnings program and our Journey Person program, we're seeing there's a ton of interest in farming. There's a lot of people, younger people and mid-career people are seeing a lot of uh, opportunities in agriculture, but they're facing a lot of challenges. I was wondering, from your perspective, some of the challenges you're seeing some of these folks face that you've worked with over the years. And, and then maybe talk about, well, what could be done in Minnesota, for example, to to help them with some of these challenges? Well, there's a lot of them. I mean, of course, the first thing that pops up is land price and availability, mm-hmm. equipment costs, and labor. You know, those are, those are important issues. And there is a thing in Minnesota about a tax break for, for farmers who sell to a beginning farmer. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what the criteria are for who a beginning farmer is, he's probably got to have some experience. Mm-hmm. And I know Jonike, his to get that loan, he had to have 10 years experience, and that was no problem there. But a lot of people don't have that. So that's a sort of a stumbling block. And really, enthusiasm is great, and a lot of people, uh, young people, are really enthusiastic, but it isn't enough. We need a training sequence and our neighbors over here uh northern harvest those folks were got good training they were with us for two years and we traded their labor for use of our land and we gave them our overflow member list so they were they had two years experience doing csa before they bought their own farm Mm -hmm. and i had a little bit of influence there too because they were floundering around looking for places going to to real estate agents and coming up with nothing and I said why don't you just go around and ask somebody if they want to sell their place (laughs) I said what (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so I I knew the family that owned the place that they bought and so I got them together and they worked out a deal and they bought their farm and they do an incredible job of farming. You know, they know the importance of weed control, of fertility management, of planting uh, in terms of uh, spacing plantings out so that they got they can be a, a a dependable provider, and they just do everything right. And same thing with Catherine Conover. She was with us for two years, and her CSA is much smaller. You know, I think she has maybe 50, and she, she doesn't want to grow any more than that, mainly because of labor issues. She does most of it herself, and she does everything right. Man, she, her place is spotless, and her crops are wonderful. You know, that, but, but it's because of having a couple of years of having been in the trenches and seeing how important weed control, for instance, is and how important it is to, to plan ahead so that you can be a dependable supplier, when people don't have that, it gives CSA a bad name because people are disappointed with what they get. They get a whole bunch of kale and some of that not so great and hardly any potatoes and carrots. In order to expand... CSA even, 
you need to have some kind of training. And I worked with lots of mentees. I mean, I've done it every year. This is my 11th year of with uh, Moses' training program. I, I think there's just no substitute for some kind of hands-on experience. A lot of the places, the people who have been mentees, yeah, just got to be. They didn't realize how much work it was going to be, and so they, they quit trying. And you know, it's important to have that experience. If it's going to be too much work for you, don't do it. There's no substitute for some kind of a training program. And if the what could happen uh, statewide, or I'm not sure who would do it, but what, what what's needed is for people, young people who want to farm, or think they want to farm to have that experience and still not be poverty-stricken while they're doing it. Mm -hmm. So subsidizing the wages, possibly, of people who are serious about wanting to get experience and, and get their own farm. I mean, that's beside the point, beside the difficulty of buying land and finding it even, mm -hmm. and all that, those issues, you... you Buy your land before you know what you're doing, and you get discouraged and quit. You know, that's no recipe for success. Right. The recipe for success, in my mind, is getting some hands-on experience so that you know how important it is to get out there and have people on their hands and knees in the carrot patch. So, you know, that I can't say too much about that. I mean, I, uh, people don't realize how important it is to be a dependable supplier. I learned that through working at the co-op. When, when you say that, you know, I want to supply X, Y, and Z, you got to get it on paper say, I'm planting the 1st of March, I'm planting the, the middle of March, I'm planting the 1st of April, I'm planting the middle of April. I mean, in the case of broccoli... So that you can be successful, a, a, a good provider throughout the season. And the same goes with spinach and lettuce and, you know, knowing when you can do it and when you can't and planning to be a dependable provider. Uh, that's really an important thing that people need to know. And, and that takes experience. It takes experience, yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you come to this farm and you're an intern... You plant those plants, uh, put those seeds in the in the flats, and transfer them into the pots, and then out into the ground. And you do it eight times in a row, and you you, you get an idea of. And then you're out there harvesting, uh, and and going through the the struggles with irrigation and lack of it, and stress on the plants, and and trying to anticipate. Uh, which variety is going to mature before another variety so you don't have to plant so many times. I mean, it's just really complicated. and But you learn that stuff when you're here, or at least you're exposed to it. If you don't learn it, it's your own fault. So it sounds like maybe if there was a way to get that really good experience, and like you said, maybe the wages are subsidized or there's some way to make it through public funding, a way for them to, uh, in some ways, it's kind of the old idea of the 
apprenticeship kind of thing where you're getting you're getting enough of a living wage but you're also learning and then you know the payoff in the future is you're going to be a viable entrepreneur in the community kind of thing yeah that's the way i look at it and it, it could uh it could really you know talking about what's needed in order to on the farming side and then on the on the demand side mm-hmm. it's a whole different story the problem is that, that usually it's people who can't afford to pay organic prices that want organic food. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like in the our Minnesota Futures, the people, I was at that meeting down in, in the cities, mm-hmm. and people who were there were not people who had a lot of money, but they were people who prioritized their expenditures so that they could afford, some of them anyway, mm-hmm. could afford food that was good for them and not harmful to the environment. And I, I think that's really important because you are what you eat. My theory is that organic food is, in the long run, is cheaper because of uh, avoiding medical costs, stuff like that. Yeah. And, and avoiding costs to the environment. Mm-hmm. Part of the way that, that, that food can be so cheap is because the, the people who are growing it are transferring the real cost off to some, somewhere else, burning up their organic matter, and it goes in the, in the atmosphere and, and creates global warming, just like burning gasoline does. <laughs> I mean, people don't realize that. Well, and that, I guess that brings up another question is talking about I guess, investing public resources into supporting that next generation of sustainable farmers who are providing locally sourced food. Why should people care, uh, you know, whether the, their tomatoes are coming from California or from Renshaw, Minnesota? What, what, why should, give a pitch for why the public should see public resources invested in this kind of local sustainable food production uh Rather than just, yeah, getting as cheap as they can through Walmart or whatever. What, what what's the argument for that? The 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 ecology. I mean, the, the whole sensitivity to a clean environment. And when you're poor and struggling, those things don't really come to your mind very much. Mm-hmm. And so, what we need is better paying jobs and people to be able to make more money. We need. Healthcare. I mean, that is a huge thing. If young aspiring farmers had health care, somebody wouldn't have to be working off the farm in order to, to provide health care for the family. Janaki's wife does that. I mean, she, she does more than that, but that's one of the reasons she works off the farm is to access health care for the family. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, it, it's hard to overemphasize that. And I think LSP has been a real mover in that area, trying to bring that to the attention of people. Well, you know, one, I was just thinking, when you were talking about your root cellar, you were able to get that established through the Minnesota Department of Agriculture Sustainable Ag Demonstration Program. Well, it was only 3000 bucks out of forty. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was that- the main thing that I liked about that program it w- is the, uh, the exposure that we were able to give 
to other farmers to say, hey, you can actually do something. You don't need to, and it costs 40000 bucks, but it'll last 100 years. That's mm-hmm. pretty cheap uh, per year if you think about it. But the fact that they have this program where then they get the word out, it was a recognition, I guess, on the part of the government saying, well, this is a kind of system that we, that in, in even a small way should be supported and should be uh, talked about a little bit, that this as an alternative and as a, as a, a local economic, kind of in economic development type thing, because you're able to do that, you're able to get income throughout the year, uh, through the winter, and employ, you know, keep you guys going as entrepreneurs through the winter kind of thing. It, it seems like that kind of could serve as maybe a model for doing more of that kind of thing in the future, you know, that sustainable ag research and demonstration, that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree with that. that that's, um, I mean, there, there are all kinds of creativity out there. That creativity needs to be tapped in all areas of agriculture to make, make it possible for farmers to make a living at it. More farmers instead of less in terms of dairy farmers. I mean, dairy farmers are just really in a bad situation. And the guy from the from the depart from the university saying we just eighty percent are going to go and we don't need them. That's just such an awful thing to say. We got neighbors here who are dairy farmers who are really between a rock and a hard place to have that kind of an attitude. Well, cheaper is always better, and that's that's why we exported all of our jobs to China and to Mexico and wherever else they've been exported to because it could make it a little bit cheaper for the consumer. Well, not very much cheaper. And we need to follow Henry Ford's ideal of having people wanting your workers to be able to buy your product. So you got to give them a, a decent wage. I mean, that's such valid economic policy. You could make an argument for, and you guys have really shown that having more farms on the land, having that are viable, is good economic development for rural communities. And plus, they're providing, it's not just benefiting the rural community, but you're providing healthy food for urban folks and suburban folks, you know, people who don't live in a rural area. Plus, you're doing it in an environmentally sound way that it provides clean water, that kind of thing, so that, that, that they're kind of a public good kind of idea, if that makes sense. You bet. <laughs> That's part of our ideal of how we do stuff. You know, we get our nitrogen out of the air not only because it's a nifty story, mm-hmm. but because it's a practical thing where we end up having to having better crops with less application of nitrogen. And also that it benefits the environment. It's an environmentally sound way of getting nitrogen rather than uh, using natural gas and to, to come up with anhydrous ammonia or something. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, the, it's good thing to do and the right way to live and having principles is important. So let's talk a little bit about our Minnesota future. You've been involved with it and I know you've been uh, participating in meetings. You went to the gubernatorial, the candidates forum kind of they had in Wilmer and you've been involved with some other meetings and met with some candidates. 
and our Minnesota future is kind of based on this idea of trying to bring together all these diverse groups of people, these people's organizations. Mm-hmm. What, what, what about it attracted you? Why did you think that this was something worth putting your time and effort into? Or what, what, what about this? You've probably seen other efforts in the past, but what about this do you think maybe could help get more of this kind of farming, make it more of a, of a, of the norm rather than just kind of some outliers out there that you get this more of these kinds of farms established and successfully out on the land. What, what was it about this that kind of attracted you? You know, I've been a member of LSP, I think since the beginning or close to it. And, and I've always had a great respect for what LSP is doing um, and I was curious about how the, our Minnesota future, who would be there and what kind of people it would attract and, and what kind of ideas people would come up with. And I'm, the idea that the emphasis should be on the welfare of the people of Minnesota rather than on the income of corporations. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, there are some really big corporations based in Minnesota, agricultural corporations, that are not being very good for the most of the people in Minnesota. I think that having emphasis on the welfare of everybody in Minnesota rather than the welfare of those who make a lot of money, that only makes sense mm-hmm. to me. So that's what's attracted me to it. And how that affects rural Minnesota and uh, the up-and-coming young farmers that may or may not find land and have financing and all that. I think one of the biggest ways that the whole group can be of a, a, a benefit to rural Minnesota is health care. And it should be single payer, it should be, everybody should pay for it, uh, and those who make a lot of money should pay a lot for it, and those who don't make very much shouldn't pay very much. I mean, it, it only makes sense. Our Minnesota future, I, and I know there's a big emphasis on it in, in that group, mm-hmm. and it's something that is really necessary. Urban folks need rural fo- folks and vice versa. You talked about, well, how do we get across the message, for example, that organic agriculture is worth supporting and all that? Well, it seems like something like this could help because you're, it's, it's maybe the one opportunity somebody from an urban or suburban area is going to have contact with somebody from a farming background. I mean, is that, I, I wonder if that could really help get that message across. You know, just one example that you, this is a positive role organic agriculture can play. Yesterday and the previous Monday, I did tours for kids from Woodland Hills, uh, and they've never pulled a carrot out of the ground before, mm-hmm. and and they never certainly never pulled it out of the ground and washed it and ate it on the spot, and can't identify. Well, anyway, there's that kind of divide, mm-hmm. uh, and and. Giving kids, young people, opportunity to to see what what goes on, give them a little bit of idea of what the natural world is. The natural world is mostly agricultural uh, when you 
out and about, mm -hmm. uh, and to have some experience with, hey, look at this. This little green stuff on top produces this great big carrot, you know? <laughs> what the heck? That's kind of neat. Yeah. Even, let's say, you're, you live in, a, in the city and you <clears throat> consider yourself an environmentalist, you often don't see agriculture as part of the environment. It's an enemy of the environment. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an important, I think if that's what you're kind of getting at, that's an important message to get across that when done right, agriculture can be a benefit to the environment. And so if you are an environmentalist, you should care what kind of agriculture is going on, especially here in the Midwest, it's not, you know, it sounds like. Well, and especially what food you're eating. If you're an environmentalist, the farmer who's producing your food should be doing environmentally sound stuff. And you should probably, as much as possible, know that farmer and go out and to the farm and see what they're doing. You know, pay attention. When we're putting that, mowing those oats and rye and putting that back into the soil, that's organic matter, that's carbon sequestration you know, and con contributing to less greenhouse gas. For more on the Our Minnesota Future Initiative, see landstewardshipproject.org and follow the links under the Organizing for Change tab. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank mm -hmm. you.